This morning, we are coming to the end of our Collision Course series. Um, it's week four. And so far, we covered a multitude of things. We laid the foundation in week one on what it means to stand firm in our faith when the world attempts to convince us of a different set of values. Because, like I said, let's face it, they're going to. The world is going to try and convince us otherwise. Then we talked about the importance of allowing God and giving Him the permission to transform our minds. And once we've done that, then allowing Him to transform our lives. Last week, we talked about, well, once we received the truth, or as Scripture told us, by the truth, God's Word, then we need to hold on to it and not give it up, not give it away for anything the world has to offer. But at the same time, we also need to give it away freely to people who ask and people who are wondering, who is God? What do you know about Him? Being willing to share the Word of God with them. And today, as we go to close out this series, I firmly believe that standing firm in our faith has to include something very important. It has to include this very important four-letter word, which is love. We have to love what matters most. Now, there are many different things that we can show or have love for. I have a short list here. I can show and I can have love, and which I do, for my wife. I can also have love and show love towards my children. I can love my job. I honestly don't even consider it a job. It's because I enjoy it so much. You can show a love towards money by just stashing it away in your account, striving after everything that's going to make you the next big buck. You can also strive after material things. Fancy cars, collecting things. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's something missing from this list. As Christians, above all else that was just listed here, we need to make the decision to love God above everything else. I mean, I love my wife to death, but when it comes to the love of God and the love that God has for me, that comes first, always will. And there's times in our life where we're going to be presented with situations where we're going to have to say no to something. And then it's showing love on the other hand. And the best example I can think of here is a couple of years ago, it was about, I think like a year and a half, two years ago, our girls were really young. My brothers had asked me, hey, do you want to go golfing after work today? I was like, sure. Now, if you know me, I love golf. I mean, for gracious sake, when we moved in, the first thing off the truck was my set of golf clubs. Like, I enjoy golfing very much. So I said, sure, why not? It's Saturday. I'll be home by like 12, 31 o'clock. We can go golf. Not a big deal. I had already checked with Ashley, and she's like, yeah, that's not a problem. Just don't be out too late. Well, as the day went on closer to time to come um, to go out and golf, she messaged me, and she goes, the girls are just... Driving me nuts, I need just a minute. I know you're supposed to golf, but would you possibly consider postponing it so you can spend time with the girls? That's a big ask. But I said yes. I was like, you know what? Yes, it's not a big deal. We can push this. So I had to say no to golfing, which was hard. That's rough. But it showed my wife that I love her. It showed her that I care enough that something else that means a lot to me, I was willing to put to the side. Now, when we turn to the Bible, it talks about the importance of choosing to spend time with God in order to grow in our love for God. 
We're going to have to say no to some things. We're going to have to say no to watching TV. We're going to have to say no to just aimlessly scrolling on our phone in order to spend time with God. But by doing that, we're showing God, you know what? I love you and I value my relationship with you enough to turn off all the distractions and the noise for a little bit to turn back over to you. And when we do this, we're drawn closer to God rather than the things of the world. If you would turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. It'll also be up on the screen as well. And here we have the Apostle John writing, and he has a lot to say about love and the world and the things of the world. And he writes here, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the, wor- the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Look at verse 15 again. The last line in that verse, it states the consequence of loving the world. It flat out says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't know about you, but I want to experience the love of the Father on a daily basis. I want to be in that love. I don't want to be apart from it. I don't want to not have that love. The love that God offers us is a love that is beyond anything that we can comprehend. And I cannot imagine being without that love. Think about it for a moment. He loved us so much. What did He do? He sent His one and only Son to die for us. Not just to die for us, but to die for us while we were still sinners. Because let's face it, the majority of the world, when Jesus came, was in sin. Yes, He had His 12 disciples and He had the people that followed Him closely and believed in Him, but the majority of the world, they didn't believe in Him. They thought He was a fake. They thought He was this imposter. So He still came and died for all of those people. Romans 5.8 says it best, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then 1 Corinthians 13.13 puts an emphasis on love as well. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So it's pretty safe to say here that love is an important theme that runs through the Bible. Turning our attention back to the passage in 1 John, there's something to take note of. John talks about, and the ESV says desires. Other translations say cravings. Now, how many of you have ever had a craving for something? I mean, I can attest to that. I just discovered the best cheesesteak I think I've ever had just the other night. And I was craving it again, so I had it last night. And this is a lot for me to say. But And then my wife, being pregnant, she gets cravings from time to time. But what John's talking about here is cravings, desires of the world. There's things in the world that as humans we're going to desire. Our flesh is going to desire. He says we're tempted to crave these things. However, I believe the first step of loving what matters, of loving God, and this is my first point this morning, is we need to correct the crave. We need to correct the crave. Just like if you're trying to kick a habit of like smoking cigarettes, you're going to do everything you can to kick that crave. 
Well, we need to do that when it comes to the things of the world. We have already highlighted different worldly desires in this series. And as you can see over here, I've got a couple written, and I'll get to that board in just a minute. But John here, for example, he says things like physical pleasures. That's a very wide open like, thing that you can fill there. And maybe some people can relate to that immediately. I mean, some people could relate and be like, yeah, I know what that means. I'm tempted over and over, and I keep going to that same website that fulfills me just for five minutes. Or I gave up drinking, but man, just to crack open one more and just to drink it, just to feel that like peace and that happiness that it brings to me that numbs the pain, that kind of physical pleasure. Or physical intimacy and connection with the wrong people. As humans, we have this desire for physical pleasure. We have this desire for physical intimacy and connection. They're not wrong. However, John says we're often tempted to fulfill these in the wrong place. That's where the problem comes in. He next lists out a craving for everything we see around us. Another way to say this would be, well, the lust of the eyes. And I'm not just saying looking at the opposite sex and thinking that they look good. Lusting after, it could be anything. Lusting after, oh, I want that guy's job. Or, oh, I want that person's house. Oh, I want that person's car. There's something wrong with that. Many things in the world, they look glamorous to us at first glance. And for some, maybe it's this desire to be famous of, man, I wish I could be like that person. I can relate to that to a degree. When I was a naive college student, all these big-time pastors would come into the chapel and talk about how they started with very little in the Lord, and they got this huge church that was well-known, like all over the world, for the ministry that they would do. And I remember there was moments I'd be like, man, Lord, I really want that. That'd be, that'd be fantastic to be a pastor like that, to be well-known, have a church of thousands of people. The Lord had us humble me real quick and be like, when it comes to ministry, you can't be out for the fame and the glory. You have to be in it to win people for Christ and to show people the love of Christ. And when that hit me, I'm like, okay, Lord. And the Lord told me, he goes, if it's my desire for you to have a large church like that, I'll give it to you. But you have to show yourself worthy and ready for that. And that was a very sobering thought because I was always like, man, I would love that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, when the Lord spoke to me and said, it's about loving people and winning them to Christ, no matter the size, that really resonated with me. Because no matter what the size of the church is, if you're not winning people to Christ and sharing the love of Christ, I don't care if you have 5,000 people in your building, you're going down the wrong path. So we conclude that fame only looks glamorous before someone has it. I mean, let's look at some of our the celebrities today. We see them, we're like, man, I would love to be famous like them. I mean, look at Justin Bieber, for instance. This, this kid, he's made millions of dollars for singing and just being himself. But he can't even leave his house without people swarming him, taking pictures of him, trying to bother him. I mean, that's not the kind of fame and like, lifestyle you want. It's not what it seems from our point of view. You see, God knows, and He knows very well, that once we get fame, 
the status that we're looking for, they're not ultimately going to satisfy or fulfill us. They're going to feel good. But the good news is this. They were never made to do that. Fame, fortune, all of it, it was never made to do that. But there's one thing that was made that will satisfy our craving for that deep connection, that intimacy, that relationship, and that is the love of God. The love of God will fulfill all of it. Once we learn how to correct the crave of what the world is trying to throw at us and what the world is saying, hey, this is going to feel good. This is going to be good to you. Once we learn how to correct that and redirect ourselves back to know the love of God, that's when we find ourselves moving in the right direction. Now, I think, well, I don't think, I know that God wants us to correct the crave of what we love in the world. He wants you to hunger after something more than what the world could give you. And that's His love. And there's only one way in which we find God's love. And this is my second point this morning. And that is, we first need to find God. We need to find favor with God. Elsewhere in 1 John, the Bible tells us that God is love. 1 John 4, 7-8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Here's the bottom line. When we find God, we find true love. In the verse we read just a few moments ago in 1 John 2, pay attention to how John ends the verse. He says the things of the world, even the world itself, will one day pass away. And to close out, he says, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Let that sink in for a minute. The things of the world will pass away. But whoever does the will of God will not. Now, drawing our attention to this board over here. We've got some things written over here. Some things that some people would find great joy in. Money. Well, I got bad news. Money is a thing of the world, so guess what? Over time, it goes away. It perishes. Physical pleasures, whether that's in relationships, whatever. Same thing, over time, it goes away. It perishes. It just disappears. Same thing with relationships. No matter, they're going to disappear too. And we said fame. It's not going to last very long. And in the end, it's going to go away. But, we know something. There's one thing that will stay forever. And that is God's Word. God's Word, no matter what, no matter what the pain, no matter what the world brings, is going to remain forever. Luke 21.33 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus says that one day heaven and earth, they're going to pass away. And that's crazy to think about. But it's true. One day, none of this will be. But God's word will last forever. All throughout the Bible, God shows us, here's how you live. Here's how you speak. Here's how you act. And it all comes down to something. It all comes down to love. all comes down to the love that we have for God and the love that we show those around us. Unfortunately, the world, their idea of love, we can summarize as conditional love. 
So you've got this conditional love for your family, your friends, co-workers, people that agree with you on certain things, politically, whatever. But the minute somebody does something wrong to you, says something wrong, brings you harm or pain, they're not worthy of your love in the world's eyes. God, however, wants to rewrite this narrative of love. God's love is unconditional. Well, how do you know this, Pastor? None of us here today deserve the love of God. Mike doesn't deserve the love of God. Jerry doesn't deserve the love of God. I don't deserve the love of God. None of us deserve the love of God because we were sinners. We were apart from God. And we're even told in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a sobering thought. But that's why he sent his son. And that's why his son wants to have a relationship with us. And in order to move forward in loving God and loving what matters, you have to find God. You have to find that favor. You have to put aside everything. Be like, Lord, you know what? Yeah, I'm a sinner. I messed up. My past says this about me. But I know your word says otherwise. And put my faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Even with this being true that we're sinners and have fallen short of God's glory, he still decided to show us love, grace, and mercy. Anyway, because we are his children. I had the realization last night, my daughters, oh my goodness, they had a burst of energy. I went back into Grayson's bedroom and it was a wreck. There was water all over the floor. I, I don't know why. But it dawned on me. I'm like, I can't get angry. Sure, I can get a little stern, but I can't get angry because they're just kids. They're going to do crazy things. God has the same mentality towards us of, look, I created you. You're going to screw up. You're going to do some dumb things. And as much as I would love to yell at you, I can get a little stern. But God showed love, grace, and mercy. Just like I had to show love, grace, and mercy to my daughters last night when I very easily could have just sent them off to bed at 6 o'clock. The only question left here this morning is this. Since God has already made the decision to love us, will you make the decision to love Him back? And remember, it's only a decision that you can make. Nobody can force you into it. I mean, they can try. But it's not going to really go anywhere. They can speak into your life. They can pray for you. They can come alongside you. And at some point, you make the decision. And the decision that you make, it's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. And that's the third point this morning. Each and every day that we wake up, we're faced with decisions of, am I going to live for God today? Am I going to show God love back? Unfortunately, many people believe that once you pray the sinner's prayer and invite Jesus to be the king of your heart and life, you're good to go. In their mind, hey, got my ticket, going to heaven, I can live life the way I want, doesn't matter. Wrong! And that's a whole other sermon. The decision to follow Christ needs to be made with our lives every single day. It's not a one and done deal. Or the term that's used for it is eternal security. No, that is a farce. Because every day, we're confronted with a multitude of worldly temptations to give 
our lives to something else. The world comes at us every single day and tries to sway us away from our relationship with God. John knew that we'd be confronted with these. And that's why he mentions, don't be defined by the worldly pleasures. Jesus himself knew we'd be confronted with these. But he gave us his word as a guide. We have the Holy Spirit as our guide as well. That little voice that you hear when you steer off the path, that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, come back. Get back over here. Going the wrong way. Each day that we wake up, we can choose to either move forward on our own and struggle through, or we can turn to God and be like, Lord, everything I do is for you. Help me to be the person you've called me to be. Look at what Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and le- um, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants to help carry the yoke with you. He wants to help carry the burden with you. He doesn't want to see you go through every day by yourself. He wants to come right alongside you. I know many of you have probably heard this illustration used over and over and over again. But the whole idea of a yoke is you take two animals of equal size, bring them together, hook them together around the neck, and they work together. They can't fight each other. They're going in the same direction. Whereas if you just put one of them, a larger one and a smaller one, well, that smaller one's probably going to go for the ride of his life being drug all over the field by the larger animal. When we accept Christ, he's offering us the opportunity to say, hey, look, I've got the yoke on my neck. Put the other side on yours. Let's do this together. Don't struggle. And don't worry You're not going to get drug around like the smaller animal. No. Christ will help you. Be like, hey, I know you can do it. Keep pulling with me. We've got this together. So here's some questions we have to ask ourselves each day. Do the decisions I make align with the Word of God? Do the actions, do my actions reflect that I'm a disciple of Christ? Here's a big one. Do the words that come out of my mouth Reflect that I'm a disciple of Christ. Do my reactions to situations reflect that I am a disciple of Christ? And the big question is, am I making the decision to follow Christ with my life each and every day? Because remember, God sent His one and only Son into the world to redeem the world. And now you could say that Jesus, when God sent Him here, He sent him on this ultimate collision course with the world. I mean, we're sending the Son of God, who is perfect, into a world of sin. That's a, I mean, that's just an explosion waiting to happen. God desires something, though, and we see this mentioned in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, should reach repentance. God doesn't want to see people miss out on repentance. He's a patient God. He's a patient God, but eventually, as Scripture tells us, time is going to run out. 
And I don't know when that time clock's going to run out because to our Lord, one day could be like 10 years, one hour could be like, I mean, his framework of time is totally different than what we think. But here's the deal. Unfortunately, we easily go astray and we get distracted. The negative and lifeless messaging of the world, oh my goodness, it's incessant, it's pervasive, and it's only getting worse, and it's enticing. It's so enticing to some people. But I believe something. I believe that as followers of Christ, we are able to make a conscious decision each and every day to say no to the world. Absolutely not. That is not happening. And then turn around and say, but God, yes to everything you have to offer. Everything that you want. Then we're going to be able to live the fruitful and abundant life that Jesus came to bring That as we read in John 10.10 about. And if you take the time to invest in the Word, in fellowship, spend time in Christ-centered teaching and in prayer, then you can renew your minds. And as Romans 12.2 then says, with the things of the kingdom of God. Mike, if you want to come up and get ready. As I bring this entire series to a close this morning, there's a few questions that need to be addressed. First, when you find, and you're going to, the world's values colliding with the kingdom of God's values in your life, are you prepared to make the decision to stay on that strong, firm path of Christ? Second, what are some minor adjustments you can make in your life now that will have major consequences one, two, five, ten years down the road? Well, I can think of a couple. Spend some daily time in the Word. That'll have a good consequence down the road. Join a small group. What I mean by that, we've got opportunities popping up all over the place. We've got Tuesday morning prayer meeting, Wednesday night Bible study, the women's luncheon, the men's breakfast. Get plugged in. Get plugged into something else other than Sunday morning. Volunteer in church. There's opportunities. Come ask. Come ask me or my wife. We'd be happy to talk. And if it's something that we didn't think of, well, we'll think of it. And we'll help you dream that up. Spend time with a mentor. There's nothing wrong with reaching out to somebody who is a little bit further along in their relationship with God and saying, hey, could I spend some time with you? Because there's a lot you can learn accountability with others this is a big one i had to learn this one in college real quick and me and a group of guys we agreed and we all held each other accountable we installed software on our computers every single week we we would get a report from like i'd get a report from my friend and his and he would get my report of every single website we visited and there was something to be said And thank God never had to be called out. I had to do some of the calling out of what's going on. But that accountability, it means a lot. And the biggest one, cut off the destructive habits, the tendencies in the relationships. Just cut them off. Be like, Lord, help me. And this list could go on. But the point I'm trying to make, and as we get ready to enter into this last song for worship and reflection before the Lord, here's the question I want you to think about. God made space for you in his kingdom. Will you make space in your life for his kingdom? And the only way you do that 
is love what matters most, and that is God. Love God. Lord, thank you for creating space for each and every one of us, God. God, each and every one of us, we know we didn't deserve it, God, but there is a place for us, God. Lord, I pray now that you would just help us to remember to leave that place for you in our life and everything that we say and everything we do and help us be able to share this truth with others to remind them that, hey, there's, there's space for you even though you may think there's not. You just need to make space for God. I thank you, Lord, for all that you do. We thank you for your blessings and moving in this church. God, I pray now you be with each person as we go from this place. You protect them strengthen them, be with them, and keep us safe as we uh, go our way this week. We thank you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.